Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Davey. And today... I am thrilled about this conversation. I'm thrilled for you guys to ha- have an ear into this conversation because it's an incredible one. And I've been wanting to do this for such a long time. I had the wonderful opportunity of interviewing my grandparents, Jim and Martha Blackburn. I don't know why it's taken us so Martha. long to do this. It must have been just an appropriate providential time to put them in the Widowhood yeah. series. You know? They are, I mean, I know they're your grandparents, so mm-hmm. you're biased. Yeah. They are awesome. They're like incredible. I am so excited yeah. for our listeners to hear both their preciousness yeah. and just their wisdom. Oh, I mean, these are faithful followers faithful. of Jesus for the long haul who yeah. have known grief, known loss, been widows and yeah. widowers and um are here to here to teach all of us some like powerful Absolutely. stuff. So I am so excited we're having them. And Davey, I'm going to read your grandparents' bio because I feel it's weird <laughs> for you to introduce them as anything oh, else. Yeah, but like, gra- I don't know yeah. if you call them Grandma Papa, but so grandma Davey's grandma. grandmother, uh, Grandma Martha, was most recently the director of Wesleyan Women International. So let me just say, she was the director of all of women's ministry in the Wesleyan Church. Yeah. Like, internationally yeah yeah she's a powerhouse (laughs) and davy's grandpa jim was most recently working at american bible society so here are two folks in ministry he was go ahead well you'll find out in this conversation he was a missionary in haiti for a long time and so um i mean just and then you know his late wife my grandma della uh, really helped to build the nursing program at Indiana Wesleyan University. So if you're like kind of around the local area and you're familiar with Indiana mm. Wesleyan, and man, some of you are listening to this, and you're like, wait, I graduated from the nursing program at Indiana that's Wesleyan. So cool. And so it's just the legacy. I think that's what I really wanted to highlight in this is not yeah. for, in a prideful way, even though I am proud of the legacy that they have and the foundations they have laid, but just to kind of encourage and inspire people that God works generationally. And, oh, that's good. And that, that you're setting a legacy and you're setting a generational foundation for your kids and your grandkids. And so this is just one of those conversations mm. I think that'll stir that up inside of you. Mm, that's so that's such a good word, Davey. And I don't know how much you want to talk about this, Davey, but we did record this before you knew about right. uh, the mistrial regarding Amanda. So there's some mention of that. Right. Yeah. So don't be confused it, by that. Yeah. You're going to hear yeah. us mention or oh, we're preparing to step into that trial and um and so but yes and, and if you've listened to the 199th episode mm-hmm. you've heard my thoughts and my reflections on yeah. um, the mistrial and so we're you know looking forward to April 25th and and we'll see what what you know we'll take that as it comes yeah, that's right. Well, before we dive into Davy's uh, interview with his grandparents, I'd love to read a recent review of the podcast. It says this. One of my sisters has told me many times about how amazing this podcast is. I just keep saying, maybe I'll check it out sometime. Mm -hmm. Having my marriage end through divorce recently and being in such an uncertain season, I finally decided to give it a listen for the first time last week. I've only heard a few episodes so far, and I can't tell you how much they have helped me to know I'm not alone in the pain I am facing. In the moments when overwhelming thoughts flood in, saying I just wasted years of my life, 
I now remind myself nothing is wasted. God is so good. I am thankful for what you're doing with this podcast, and I am now sharing it with others. Wow. Oh, wow. that's a that's a good review. Oof. Man, mm, just, thank you so much mm. for sharing that. That one is so. I yeah, mean, that hits your tender, heart, right? Yeah. Because this is exactly why we do what we do at the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. If uh, if the podcast has ministered to you at all, we would love to hear these stories. It um, brings glory mm-hmm. to God, honestly, and it brings healing to Ooh, other people. Brings so you tears can to do my that. eyes too, man. I mean, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. That one was hard to even read. <sighs> you can rate and review the podcast by going to Apple Podcasts. Wow. Wow. Stick around because after this uh, conversation, Aubrey and I are going to have our own conversation where we talk about our thoughts and our reflections on my conversation with uh, my grandparents, Jim and Martha Blackburn. So let's go ahead as we continue the Widowhood series. Let's listen to this conversation I have with Jim and Martha Blackburn. Well, Grandma and Grandpa, it is so good to have you guys on the podcast joining me. You don't know how long I've wanted to do this. No, we can't imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, our producer came to me and said, hey, I want to do a widowhood series. And um, and I said, man, I want to have my grandparents on here because there's so many different reasons. One, obviously, we'll get into your story. And you guys have both experienced widowhood in that season. You've both... You've each lost a spouse. Um, but two, you guys were have been all through my entire life and were in, in a very um, critical moment and season for me. You guys were encouragement to me um, at the deepest level. And, you know, I'll never forget um, you guys as well as the rest of the family showing up at the hospital on November 10th when Amanda was there and we're waiting for test results to come back and, and we're all just sitting there at, at her hospital, the foot of her hospital bed. And, and I'll, I mean, never forget just worshiping together, singing, praying. Um, and I'll never forget the moment of, of looking around and seeing everybody in our family and knowing some of each of their stories and the losses that have, had been experienced in our family, but particularly looking at you guys and thinking, if I lose Amanda right now, I know that because grandma and grandpa have walked through this, I know I can get through this. And those are these tangible moments where you borrow people's faith and um, and I think that to me, it spoke so much about legacy. It spoke, it spoke so much to me about that, you know, for, for me, what I'm grateful for in, in, in my particular story that not a lot of people have in their story is this bedrock, this foundation that goes years beyond yourself that has kind of been built. And, you know, there's layers upon layers upon layers of, of, speaking to and experiencing God's faithfulness that now I'm kind of reaping some of those rewards in some, some way, you know, if you want to say it like that, I'm reaping the benefits of this legacy that has been passed down. And so that's why this conversation is so uh, meaningful to me. And I just wanted the entire world as much as I could, we could get in to listen to just us have a conversation about God's faithfulness. And, um, and so thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you know, Gr- Grandma, you said something about that moment in the hospital with Amanda. That you said that when uh, when Jim walked into the room, tell me what you said about that because that was really cool. Our pastor was there yeah. the day, and um, he said he sensed a lot of the things that were going on. But he said when Jim Blackburn walked into the room. Mm-hmm. 
a confidence and a calm came with him. Mm. And for him, it was almost as though it were tangible. And he said, I observed something I'd never seen before. Mm. Wow. Wow. What was that? You know, I mean, what? because that's not something you can manufacture. I mean, I think everybody would say, oh, I would love to live the kind of life that that when I walk into a room, that that's the kind of presence that I carry. But that's not something you can just like put on, you know? Well, I think it was it was God at that point, first of all, giving me an ability to communicate to you. Mm. But I think it was God working in your favor at that point. Because that was such a moment of incomprehensible fear and doubt and whatever else goes with that kind of yeah. of um, situation in our lives. And I just think God took care of the whole thing. Mm. He was there and he he was he was taking care of, of Davy and and the family, because we were all just devastated by what yeah. was going on. Yeah. So it wasn't I, I can assure you of that. I had no, when I got the phone call from your dad that morning, must have been 7.30 in the morning, mm. he said, Dad, could you please get in touch with Davy? get to the hospital as soon as you can, mm. something has happened to Amanda. Mm. And I was just, you know blown away. I just quickly jumped in the car and headed out. I called you, I think, on the way, and you were on the way to the hospital at that point, not knowing at all what had happened. Even you didn't know yeah. the full story. But then we got to the hospital, and uh, it just seemed like God's presence was there just yeah. hovering over us and we didn't know what next steps to take yeah. you know, or what next to even say, but mm. God was there. Mm. You know, <clears throat> Christy and I have been, especially with the the trial and stuff, that at this point when people are listening to this, it, it, it probably has happened already. Um, but we've been listening to and watching a bunch of videos, you know, one of, a, you know, of Amanda and just kind of remembering her, but also of that day. Um, I have a video that the the camera of the of the phone is pointed just to a hospital bed. You can tell it's like all up close and it's like sheets of a hospital bed. So you don't see anything that's going on, but what you can hear is you can hear our entire family going from him to him to him and singing. And of course you can hear, you know, in between all of that, the um the, the crying and the the weeping and the sniffling and the, you know, the groans and the pain and um but there it's just it's you can't quite describe what you're listening to other than it's like heaven touched earth it didn't just affect those of us in the room though yeah i mean the, the total hospital staff yeah they were out in the hall holding hands most of them crying yeah they joined in the singing if they knew the song it was just it was an amazing time together as God ministered as he as only he can do he ministered to all of our hearts yeah yeah 
I remember when I got to the hospital, because we had been away, just got home the night before, and I said to Jim, I've got to jump in the shower mm. before, and I'll come. I remember when I got there and we found that she had been shot, mm. and nobody was talking about surgery. Mm. I realized, don't think any of us ever talked to each other about yeah. it, but I realized this is probably going to be it. Mm-hmm. And yet there were others who were more medical than I who were there. Yeah. And yet yeah. the focus was on God's presence, yeah. God's comfort. Mm-hmm. And even though we all had a lot of uncertainty, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know what tomorrow will be, right. but he will be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and the other thing that I was thinking about when I when we were standing there is just how many of our family were there. And then you think about each one of their stories and you think about the faithfulness of God in each one of their lives. And, you know, the only reason I know that is just because the family stays in touch and stays in, intact to the best that it can with, you know, as much as life and callings and stuff disperse us around the world. But I also remember vividly over the years growing up and going around the circle of families during Thanksgiving or Christmas and just sharing, hey, here's kind of an update on what's gone on in our family this year. And here's how the Lord has been faithful in our family's life this year. And inevitably, there's going to be tears that are, you know, ensuing throughout the whole thing. At some point, there's like a breaking point in the whole conversation. And Everybody starts crying and praying for each other. And those are very vivid, tangible memories I have of growing up that I couldn't articulate back then. I I didn't know what that was. And in some ways, I thought it was kind of what every family does. But the more I've lived life and the more we've served and helped people in ministry, the more you realize that's very rare. Very rare to have a family construct um, that, again, it's not perfect by any means. But when you look at, you know, the, the, the kids that are represented from your, your legacy with Uncle Ken and Aunt Serena, with, you know, Darren and Darla, with, um, with Steve and Diane, with my parents, you've got these, you know, these just rock solid folks who love the Lord, who many are serving in ministry. If they're not serving, they're serving in the marketplace, but they're in ministry. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, and I think about that and I go, how, do, how does that happen? I don't have an answer for that. I'm hoping you guys have an answer. Like, how does that happen? Well, with me, it started a way back in a little small country church in Tennessee <laughs> where I, I truly found the Lord, the pastor who was concerned about everything in our lives, mm. and a mom and dad who loved the Lord above all else. They didn't have a lot. We had very little in our lives, but we had the Lord. And it was, we learned that every moment of every day, God was with us. Mm. And it just, you know, you grow from that and life experiences and everything. Um, I don't know that that I intentionally <laughs> planned a legacy. Yeah, right. You know, you just live your life. Yeah. And as God opens doors and windows uh, of ministry in your life, you try to walk through them. Mm. Um, but um, God had a plan. It's that it's that wonderful plan for all of our lives that is just mm. unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, Grandpa, you know, you grew up, and correct me if I'm wrong, but your dad was some kind of a pastor, right? A preacher? No. no. Your grandfather was, right? No. No. Okay. Talk no, to me about I'm, your kind of legacy I'm the then. first. I'm the first preacher in okay, the family. Okay, first preacher in the family. All right. My father was oh, a I'm thinking of the Norman actually. side. That's what I'm thinking of is the Norman side. Yeah. Yep. Okay. He was a millwright All right. with the Tennessee Valley Authority Okay. in okay. Tennessee. My mom was... Uh, um, if anybody, she was the church, the church person in the family, <laughs> because uh, you know she was director of the Women's Missionary Society, the youth, <laughs> the youth program. She gave all the children's sermons, and it was it was just pretty amazing because it was wow. a very small church. I think the the maximum we ever had in that church was seventy five people, mm. but we had a great group of young people and. As I mentioned, a pastor who really cared. Mm. I don't think there was a Sunday that went by that Brother Smith didn't just stop for a moment and say, Jim, how are things between you and the Lord right now? <laughs> well, he kept me on my toes. <laughs> Wednesday night prayer meeting, if he didn't give a testimony, he wanted to know why. <laughs> you know what's funny is I had a... Um, a guy that I played baseball with growing up, and his dad was the coach at a at a local college um, that I really wanted to go to. You know, eventually when I went to college, but he would stay on the other side of the fence, and I'm on the on deck circle. You know, getting ready to go bat, and and every time he saw me, every time he'd just right through the fence, "How are you, Davy?" And then he'd say, "How are you in the Lord?" <laughs> you know, and there are some seasons of life where I'm like, I don't want to answer this question right now. Yeah. You know, but it was like, it was it it was like a kind of a guardrail there for me that continued to remind me, oh, like that's that's something I need to attend to, you know? That's so funny that you had the same experience. (laughs) So how did you meet Grandma Della? Well, we met at college, actually, at uh, now Southern Wesleyan. It was Central Wesleyan College in those days. (laughs) And uh, we had common interests, and we sang in the choir together and that kind of thing. But... Mm -hmm. We didn't actually get together until late in the sophomore year. Mm. We we uh, the college at that point only had associate degrees, except for ministry, and that they had a bachelor's degree in um, in ministry. Okay, but we were just getting ready for graduation. But one of the things that we did, the sophomore class always gave prepared a play for school mm. and, stuff. and and we were in the play together and kind of got acquainted and that's that's how it all started <laughs> we graduated and she went into uh, nursing then at a hospital in Ohio and I transferred to Marion College where mm. I finished up my degree mm. yeah. and we continued our relationship yeah yeah um so Right after, I mean, wh- wh- how how long was it after that that you guys decided to go to the mission field? Well, you know, during our courtship, we talked about it because I had had a call to missions when I was only 12. Okay. And um, I intended to go to a mission field somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, um, and and she was, she was in favor of it. She wanted to do whatever the Lord mm wanted us to do. And I think she kind of had the attitude, well, if 
if we get married and if you're called to the mission field, if you go to the mission field, I'll go with you. We'll mm. work together. And that's why she went into nursing. She was mm. very much interested in being a missionary nurse. Yeah. And, uh, but she never really had a call until one day we, we, our, our oldest daughter, Diane, was approaching her first birthday, and we were visiting with family down in North Carolina. And um, Della and her sister were taking uh, Diane for a walk, and they were doing some shopping, and here was a situation where they had to walk down about 20 cement steps <laughs> to get to the shopping area. Yeah. And so they... She decided to just take the stroller, you oh, know, no. and just go down the steps a step at a time. But somehow the handle had not gotten really well installed in, in, mm. in the stroller. And it took that first step, and that handle broke loose, and baby and stroller and all went head over heels wow. down those concrete steps. It was just... Oh. She said it was the most terrifying moment of her life. And she yelled, my baby, my baby. Mm. And some lady at the bottom of the steps turned around and literally caught Diane in her arms. Wow. They laid her out on a bedspread there and called the emergency, but no, no problem. She's had a little, uh, little tiny bruise on her face wow. that showed up in her one-year pictures, of course. Yeah. But... Um, it was at that moment that God spoke to Della. Mm. And uh, he said to her very plainly, that you don't know what's going on on the mission field. She was always worried about, you know, snakes and yeah. all these missionary uh, stories that were told. But he said, wherever you are, you need me mm. to take care of you and your family. I'll always take care of Diane. Wow. So that was when she felt definitely in her heart that missions was uh, where she wanted to be. Wow. Wow. Well, you guys uh, re received a calling or chose, however it panned out. I'm not sure if God told you exactly that Haiti is where you need to go or if it was one of those like throw a dart on a map, but you chose a very difficult place to go and do missions. But it was a wonderful place. It was a great place of ministry, a great place for the kids to grow up. Um, we we loved those years in Haiti. Yeah. What was what were you doing there? What was Grandma Della doing there on the mission well, she field? She was a nurse. Okay. And uh, so she worked in the clinic mm -hmm. in uh, at Port Margo in northern Haiti, and okay. then in the hospital over on Lagonave, mm. where the main hospital was located. But uh, she was. Um, she was almost like a, a nurse practitioner at mm -hmm. least, mm -hmm. and and even for a year was the only medical person yeah. uh, available at the hospital in Lagunov. It was a time when it was just very very difficult, mm. but um, it was through that that ministry that she was able to um, minister to the people. Mm. I was just a, a general missionary. I was in charge of one of the stations and um, went out every weekend, practically every weekend I was out somewhere mm -hmm. preaching in one of the churches and 
holding business meetings and trying to help the pastors in anything that they could do. Building churches, yeah. doing plumbing, <laughs> changing tires on on the car as we went back and forth on those rough roads. I bet, yeah, I was going to say, you probably had to change a lot of tires on those roads. <laughs> yeah, I did. Wow. So it was just, you know, you, you learn, and there is no, um, there is no fixed uh, job description for mm. a missionary. Mm. You just do what has to be done, yeah. when it has to be done, and trust the Lord to help you. Wow. <laughs> Which, you know, in some cases, it should describe every position in ministry, right? That's it's true. like, we just, we That's do what true. has to be done to help people when it needs to be done, and we trust the Lord with the results, yeah. you know? What a refreshing, simple take on ministry, Yeah, you know? Um. So you guys were there on the mission field for how long? We were there for eight years. Eight years. Actually, one year home for furlough, but uh, from okay. 1962 to 70, okay. we were in Haiti. And then you came back, and you lived where? Well, I went, uh, actually, I was accepted into a graduate program at Miami University in okay. Ohio. And um, for... There about four years, from 70 to 74, I finished my um, all of my classwork. And then the last two years I was there, I, I worked in the registrar's office as assistant registrar. Okay. Okay. And then when was it that you guys moved over to Marion then? In uh, 74, I got a phone call from a great friend of mine that, that was working at Marion College. Mm. And he said, can I stop and see you all sometime? I said, sure, when you're in town, just give us a call. We'd love to see you. <laughs> so my friend Billy Connerman came to see us. And that's when he opened a door that we had no idea. I mean, it was no thought whatsoever in our minds. Mm. But he said to Della, he said, the nursing program had just begun at uh, Marion College. And he said, we have to have someone who can uh, develop a mental health nursing mm. program for us. Wow. And uh, she had just was in the process of finishing her, her degree at, uh, at uh, Miami mm. in psychology. Okay. And uh, so it was, it was a perfect fit for her. Yeah. yeah. And he said to me, he said, well, we need a, an admissions director and a registrar at Marion mm. College, too. And so... We'd like you all to come and interview for those mm. jobs. So we did, and um, on our way back from from uh, Marion, we thought, I mean, this is such a such a move for us. What have you? I've never been a registrar. Yeah. <laughs> she'd never, you know, actually been that involved in teaching in nursing, mm. at least. So we sat down, like you know, like you say, we. Took a sheet of paper, drew a line down the middle, and the pros and the cons, and you know, there were all kinds of pros that that occurred to us, but we couldn't think of a good reason why we should not do it. <laughs> and God just began to open doors, and it, yeah. it worked out beautifully. Yeah, I had no idea I was going to when I first came to um, to Miami. I didn't have a penny in my pocket to pay for a graduate program mm. but it you know I got a miraculously 
a uh, graduate uh, position with the registrar's office. Mm. And uh, then, then wouldn't you believe that that was the job that opened up at Marion wow. College? Wow, wow. <laughs> I got my practical experience yeah. there at Miami. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God just has a way of working yeah. out the plan in our lives Yeah, we open our hearts to it. Yeah. Hey friends, Happy New Year! We have some exciting news for you to kick off the year 2022. This month, we are doing a complete overhaul and relaunch of our community groups platform and what used to be called our monthly partner program. We know our previous community groups platform and monthly partner program made it difficult for you to find your way around and fully engage with other people. So, We've been putting some serious time and energy into enhancing the experience of both of these platforms and combining them into something even better. Now, you'll be able to connect more easily with other people all over the world who are walking through the same valley you are. Plus, we're beefing up the platform with a ton more features. So, I want to officially introduce to you the new Nothing Is Wasted online community platform. With this new overhaul, there are now three subscription tiers that you can choose from. Community, Community Plus, and Community Collective. Let me explain each one of these. The first tier, Community, is absolutely free to join. All you have to do is create a login and immediately you can start connecting with other Nothing Is Wasted listeners from all over the world on this new online groups and forums platform. Now, When I was trying to heal from the loss of my wife, I wanted to connect with others who were either currently going through or who had gone through what I had. Because of the power of social media, it wasn't difficult to find those people, but it was difficult to find people who had the same healing and growth mindset that I had who could help me walk through my valley in a healthy way. We don't want you to have that trouble. We want you to connect with people from all over the world who are going through or who have gone through the same kind of trauma, tragedy, or major life transition that you're experiencing. And most importantly, that they share your heart to go from pain to purpose. So again, that's the first tier, community, and this first tier is absolutely free to join. On our second tier, Community Plus, you'll be able to access bonus content, webinars, exclusive courses, live events, meetups, special discounts for Nothing Is Wasted products and services, and more. This tier costs the same as our old monthly partner program used to cost. In fact, is even replacing that old monthly partner program. It's $20 a month, but if you prefer to get a couple of months for free, you can subscribe to the annual plan rather than the monthly one. That annual plan only costs $200 per year. Now, finally, our third tier Community Collective isn't launching until August of 2022, but we are super excited for what we'll be offering here. We'll be collaborating with experts in the field to create practical, robust courses that help you along the pain to purpose path. So stay tuned. Right now, from January 10th to January 31st, we are opening up enrollment for the new Community and Community Plus plans. So now is the time to check it out and get enrolled. Make sure you do it before January 31st 
because on February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, we're holding a three-night live virtual summit to kick off this new platform. This summit is featuring some of Nothing Is Wasted's favorite special guests, like Kayla Steckline, Daniel and Brittany Brooker, and more. These guests will be with us live, chatting it up with me and answering your live questions. But this event can only be accessed by joining the community platform. So make sure you join right away. We'll keep you posted on all the special guests we're having at the live virtual summit as we get closer to February 1st. So stay tuned. If you're interested in learning more and enrolling in our new community platform, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash community. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash community. Now, if you were a part of our previous community platform, community groups, you should have already received an email in your inbox or check your junk folder inviting you to join this new platform so you can easily access it through that email. If not, pause this episode right now and head over to nothingiswasted.com slash community to join this new platform. I'm so excited to engage with you there. One of the things that I love in hearing, this has always been the case for you, Grandpa, you know, the way you just said that, you know, God always has a way of working out the plan in our lives. I feel like I heard that some some shape or form of that phrase from you so many times growing up, so many times in my adulthood, and in that tone that feels very much like, what are we worried about? What are we worried about? And I think that's such an important reminder to all of us because how many times can we get so caught up and concerned and worried for what's going to happen today or even worried about if i make if i don't make this decision properly if i don't do the exact right thing then somehow i'm going to unravel god's plan in my life and yet it seems like the posture that jesus calls us to take right in matthew chapter 6 is don't worry about it yeah let me work yeah and then you know you go to marian that happens to be the place that my dad ends up meeting my mom, right. you know, and they, of course, they date, you know, some in high school and then through college, they get married in college. And, you know, there's these providential things that you see that hearing some of the backstory, it's really cool to look back and go, this is, this is what led to this, what led to this, what led to this. And so there's some kind of a pivotal moment or decision or breakthrough that's happening for whoever's listening to this right now that you have no idea how it's going to turn out and it might cause you some fear and trepidation right now. But you know, hear from, from my grandpa, hey, God has a way of working these things out, you know. It's easier to see as you look back, however. Yeah. At, my, at this point in my life, as I look back, you know, I, God has never once failed. Mm. And so, you know, I know that's true. So why shouldn't I face tomorrow with mm. that same kind of faith? Doesn't always, it's not always that easy. Yeah. But yeah. God is so faithful. Wow. Um, okay, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. We're going to pause your part of the story right there, Grandpa, and and let's talk to Grandma. And um, I'd love to hear some of how you know your upbringing and and how you you and Bob met. Well, I am from a pastor's home, 
My father was a pastor most of my life. However, before he entered ministry with five children Mm. and married, and he was, I guess, what will be uh, comparable today to a superintendent of an ironworks in Mm. Parkersburg, West Virginia. We always found it interesting that when he answered God's call, and uh, still working there, he had a Bible study among his co-workers before he left, and um, many of those men also entered ministry mm. uh, from that. And then he began to pastor, and this was all before I was born, um, but it was three or four pastors down the road before he ever made comparable to what he had left, mm. and that was during, I think, the Depression. But mm. I'm the eighth of nine children, <laughs> and uh, we never doubted that our folks cared for us, but on a minister's salary, and four oh, of my yeah. brothers and sisters were in college before I remember a lot about them being home. Um, but we did know that they loved us and they loved the Lord. And I have, as I look back, I realize those are two super pluses. Yeah. We always had a family altar, uh, and, um, and I thought, like you, that everybody had that kind of a home. <laughs> right. I had no idea except that I knew that our friends would kind of work at a time when they would be at our house during this time. Mm. It was not a long, drawn-out thing, yeah. but we would have prayer when we started the day. We would uh, had all the usual problems that I think every family of that size would have. <laughs> um, Which is probably not a, a problems that many of us are aware of because we don't have families that size. That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, However, uh, all of us worked from the time we were quite young. We all helped, and and we went to college on scholarships and jobs and whatever we needed to do in order to... um, get what we felt like was important to help us to yeah. make it in life. Mm. When I graduated from college, I went to a state university. Um, I went to Indiana to teach. Mm. And I was teaching in a Christian high school there, but it also had a college campus. Okay. And um, my uh, to-be husband came as a student to the college. Now, he had worked in a factory. He had been a welder, Mm. and um, he had all of the horses, the sports car, the (laughs) you name it, you know, motorcycle. Um, And when God began to speak to him, uh, he was offered a full-ride scholarship to go to engineering school by the company he was working for. Mm. But he said in his heart, he had already told the Lord he would go to uh, prepare for ministry. So he went in and told them, I'm sorry, I cannot accept this. Mm. I appreciate the offer, but I'm headed to college to prepare for ministry. Wow. And so he, when he went, came to college, he was older than most of the students that he started with. He worked as a welder at the college. They were building some buildings. And since he was a coded, certified welder, he trained horses. Mm. Many of the things that he had done in his before life, he did that. And um, then 
uh, after college, we moved and he went through seminary. Hmm. And it was at the end of seminary when we uh, accepted the first pastorate to a church in Appleton, Wisconsin. Hmm. Now, uh, we had always thought we would not, we thought we would return to where the area where he had roots and had grown up, but that was not God's plan. Mm. And as we look back, we see God's plan. Mm. We moved to an area where the um, gentleman that became his doctor that saved his life lived about three doors from us. We went to a church, although small in number, the whole community within just a few months after our move, my husband had a strep throat. We did not realize that a strep throat was dangerous. Uh, That was in the fall. And by December, he had end-stage kidney failure from the strep throat. And um, that began a journey of 20 years of dealing with a multitude of medical problems. We were at a church in a community that loved us. We exhausted our major um, insurance, health insurance, Mm. within the first three months that he was. uh, And even back in the early 70s, through that period, his... um, Medical expenses were a million and a half dollars. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Six months in critical care, numerous surgeries, and and in the midst of this, after we had been to this church for four years, the largest church in our district called him to be their pastor, and I thought they were crazy. Mm. Here they are calling this man that spends three days a week in the hospital on dialysis, And um, they said, no, we feel like if you're God's man for us, then you come and we'll work it out. And we did. And the chief of staff at the hospital was a um, member of the church Mm. and paved the way. And kind of like your grandpa said, Mm. you know, God answered our prayers and led us all of the way. Wow. Wow. And um, then... For that, in the midst of all of that, we were there for a number of years, Mm. uh, probably 13 years, and our son was graduating from college, and um, my husband said to me one day, I think I have five years to live, Mm. and I will either be totally capacitated or I will be gone. And I think that I need to be at a place where I can influence the next generation Mm. and I should, uh, and that you need to go back to graduate school and get ready to support uh, if something happened to him. And our son was starting college. Yeah. And um, we didn't have five years. We only had two. Um, And it was when my husband first became ill, he prayed and asked the Lord to please let him live 
long enough for our for him to get our son through College. the teenage years. Oh, through the teenage wow. And um, so God did that. Wow. Some of our relatives said they wish he hadn't been quite so specific about what he asked because <laughs> wow. um, my husband's father had died when he was ten. So he knew the loss that that was, and so he had asked God for that. But um, after having been in the hospital, um, had two transplants, a liver transplant, 26 surgeries, um, on Christmas Day, God took him to heaven. Mm. And I remember people saying, what a terrible day. For him to die, and our son said, "I can't think of a better day." Wow! Because he said um, his dad believed in Christmas, he preached about it, he loved it, and he said, "We sent the best gift we have." Wow! And uh, that turned all of our attitude and attention to the Lord. Yeah, and so. Um, I think a lot of life is what you choose to do with it. And my prayer earnestly at that time was, Lord, don't let me be bitter. I had seen so many people who are bitter about what happened in their life, and I realized it runs their lives. And I was particularly concerned if I become bitter, what about our family? And um, wow. so I committed to rejoice and thank the Lord for the good things mm. rather than to dwell on the difficulties. Wow. You know, we talk often about the fact that there seems to be kind of <clears throat> two different types of people when tragedy happens. There are those who take the position, the posture of, what you spoke to a second ago that said, what a terrible day. That's the worst day that that could have happened. And then you have the other side of things that choose to take the posture that you guys chose, that Uncle Ken expressed, that chose to look at it from a different lens. And I think that's so interesting because, I mean, that right there, the the discrepancy between those two viewpoints and perspectives really begins to lay out a trajectory for how you're going to walk through pain and suffering and loss and grief and hardship. Um, Not to say you can't change and, you know, like repent or, or, or take on a different perspective or the Lord do some kind of transformative work. But it's interesting that some choose to go here and some choose to go here. Yes. And, um, and yet at the same time, something we were talking about before we jumped on these microphones and kind of went on air was how important it is to acknowledge your humanity in those yes. moments and that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can, you can trust in the Lord and yet still feel despair. Yes. Can you talk to me a little bit about, about that? I think so. And, you know, with my position in my family, I have many siblings that are a lot older Mm. than I am. And I remember that my oldest sister's husband, my sister, had died. And he was talking to me one day, and he said to me, Martha, give yourself the freedom to feel however you're going to feel. 
And he said, you know, you don't have to hold up for God. He can handle it. And he said, when you're having a tough day, say, this is a tough day, but I know that God is with me and it'll be better. And I think that was extremely helpful in healing and it was freeing. Sometimes, you know, you meet people that they're so fake. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, I'm so happy holding hands with Jesus. Well, I'm glad you do. But what I think is sometimes I look at people and say, let's get real. You know, God is God and he loves us. I, I just tell you, when Jim was diagnosed with cancer and he... Uh, you know, the, the prognosis was, will he live or will he not? Mm. Now, you have to understand, you know, your grandpa, he's pretty calm. And he <laughs> said to me, now, Martha, it'll be all right <laughs> if I live or if I don't. Mm. And I looked at him and I said, well, I know in light of eternity, mm. it'll be all right. But is it okay with you if it's not all right with me today? <laughs> And uh, I I don't think that takes anything away from our confidence with the Lord, but He is with us Mm. in however we are. Right. right. And uh, He's the calm, collected one, Mm. and I'm the one that's always thinking of, let's get this organized, (laughs) let's get this planned, let's get this laid out, Uh, you know, and God doesn't always go with my plan. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, conventionally, he doesn't ever, it seems no, like, no. our plans. <laughs> we wish that he would sometimes. On occasion, God, can you just go with what I have planned? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, man. But his plan is better. Way better. Way better. And even in the unanswered questions of life, mm-hmm. you know, I have enough confidence in the Lord mm-hmm. that he knows. Yeah, yeah. A long time I used to say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, this, or this. Yeah. But the older I get and the more I walk with him, I don't think it's going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I kind of think sometimes that it's more or less that we're we're, we're not necessarily going to desire to get answers from Jesus. It's like we're going to look at him and it's all going to make sense. Yes. Just like with one glance at our Savior, we're going to go, oh, Okay, you know, yeah. Um, it, it, one thing that struck me as you were as you were talking, Grandma, is that you know Ken was in college, and I know Ken really well. Ken's on our board with Nothing Is Wasted. So, those of you guys who are listening, he's you know very involved in in the work of our ministry as well as just in our life. We love Ken and Serena and respect him. He's a pastor in Columbus, Ohio, and. They, you know, operate the Pain to Purpose course, partnering with our ministry and stuff. And so Ken's an unbelievable man of God. Very easily, he could have grown bitter as well. I mean, he spent most of his upbringing watching his dad suffer. Always. He was uh, 18 months old when his father became ill. Yeah. So can you look back on anything and see any anything that maybe you guys tried to do intentionally or that... You know, do you just chalk it up to like that was his reality and that's just kind of what he experienced? Or was there anything that, you know, you guys had to almost intentionally say, how do we keep pointing him back to the faithfulness of God even in the midst of all of this? 
Well, it's interesting because when Ken was uh, probably early 20s, he and I were having a conversation, and he said to me, Mom, are you trying to tell me that my life was never normal? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, I guess that's what I am trying to Hmm. tell you. And he said, well, you know, I wasn't so aware of that. I just thought Mm. every family probably had an ill member. Mm. And it became, uh, certainly, you know, he spent hospital, uh, like Christmases in the hospital. Uh, His father was transplanted successfully uh, over Christmas time when Ken was a first grader. And um, we just made Christmas in the hospital out of the canteen machine. And because we didn't try to make that as an excuse of, you know, his participation in life, his participation in school, his participation in church, he said, well, I just thought it was pretty normal. (laughs) And uh, we always seemed to have a house full. Uh, Although we only had one child, our house was pretty open Mm. and lots of um, whatever the age our son was, there were always plenty of kids around and as well as of other adults. And he said he wasn't aware that it wasn't normal Mm. because for him it was normal. Wow. Wow. And I think that's the Lord helping us. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously we had a lot of people coming and helping us, you know. He had to go twice. He went away and stayed with um, my sister uh, to during some critical, horrible times. But they did a great job of loving him and surrounding him as a family. Mm. Wow. What year was it that Bob passed? 1990, Christmas Day. Christmas Day, 1990. Wow. You know, Grandpa, you alluded to earlier that it's a lot easier to look to see God's faithfulness when you look back. When you're in the midst of it, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, God's being faithful. And, you know, with Grandma Della, you guys experienced a season that I'm sure felt like it was in the midst of that deep, dark valley where you were having trouble seeing God's faithfulness. Can you talk about that? Actually, we were on the mountain before. Hmm. We were just, our, our kids were all married. In fact, just as we were leaving, Marion, um, our youngest, Darla, got married. But David mm-hmm. and Brenda were married. Diane and Steve. All three of our kids went to college. They found their mates. They knew the Lord, were walking with the Lord, and were following God's plan for their life, which mm. made it great. I mean, we were walking on the mountaintop. Yeah. I loved my work at at Marion College. I thought this is this is where I will be for the rest of my life. Mm. But it didn't work out that way because there, I was um, for ten years the registrar, and then for the last three years, I I headed up the fundraising effort at the college. Mm. And um, during that period, there was a change in administration at the at the college, mm. and um, so I. Well, my 
My description of it is there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Mm. And so I was out. But Della was still head of the nursing department, so it really created a real difficult time for us at that point. I tried to get a job in the area, but nothing seemed to open up. Mm. And uh, she received an announcement somewhere in a a professional magazine, a Christian magazine that she was reading. Needed a... Dean of the School of Nursing at Azusa Pacific hmm. out in California. So she you know, wrote a note to them and said she might be interested. And so they brought us both out and she interviewed for two or three days with, you know, all the college people and and um, they all fell in love with her. They said, you're the one that hmm. God has called for this job. We need you now. Hmm. So we started making plans. She um, signed a contract, I think it must have been sometime in um, maybe early, maybe late July of 87. And uh, we were were excited, kind of devastated to be leaving family, but excited about the possibilities. New adventure. Yeah. And uh, so she accepted the job. I found us an apartment out there. We made arrangements to move. Everything was moving along. But the first week of August, she began to develop some serious pain in her mm. abdomen. I had no idea what it was. And we took her immediately to the doctor, and uh, they discovered that she had ovarian cancer. And he sent her to um, Indianapolis to for surgery, and they did the surgery and weren't able to get it all. But um, they thought, you know, with chemo and all, they might be able to extend her life for a few years. Hmm. Well, here we had a con. She had a contract at Azusa, and all of a sudden. Within, you know, 10 days after she sent the contract in, they discovered she has cancer. So what do we do about that? Wow, yeah. So we contacted the the officials at Azusa, and uh, they said to us, you know, this is crazy, but we insist that you come on, honor this contract. Mm. We need you. And only 10 miles from where you're going to be living is one of the finest cancer care centers in the world, mm. the City of Hope. And um, they said, we'll try to work with you and, and get you in there. When we talked it over with her surgeon in Indianapolis, he said, well, you know, this is very interesting. Mm. I just completed an internship at City of Hope. I know the people in administration. And he said, I think I can get you in for Wow. Treatment. Wow. I mean, it, they had a long list, you know, yeah. people waiting for treatment. But finally, we moved to Azusa. And um, within the first 10 days we were there, she had an appointment at the City of Hope. Wow. And spent nine months in uh, chemo, chemotherapy. And during that nine months, continued to work with the nursing department. 
And after about nine months, uh, they uh, she went into remission. It was uh, say we don't know how long this might last, but uh, we feel like so she had one good year mm. because you know the following year, all of a sudden you know she began having discomfort and went back in, and they discovered the cancer had spread. Yeah, metastasized seriously throughout her whole body. So. Mm. They, uh, they decided that they could not do further treatment. I took her to another hospital and to try to see if we could do whatever we could do yeah. to get help for her. But uh, after another surgery, they decided that it was just too far gone. That mm-hmm. They were just willing to do whatever they could do to keep her comfortable and... Um, pass away mm. I was not willing to accept that yeah you know for for all those years your your dad was such a great um, encouragement and both Darla and Diane were constantly in contact in fact Darla and and Darren had moved to California mm. that's right Darren finished law school at uh, at a school in California mm-hmm. and Darla working at the Children's Hospital in uh, Los Angeles. And so they were there. We saw them at least once a week. Yeah. They were there to help take care of mom and so on. But uh, finally, in, um, in late March of uh, 1990, she passed away. Mm. And um, Wow. Mm. I think it's significant, too. For several months, your grandpa took care of Della all night. And wow. worked all day. Wow. Uh, and how the Lord helped him. And he said he worked with marvelous people wow. that supported him and cared for him in the midst of that. Several months mm. that they did that. Wow. God's faithfulness again. Yep. Yep. Yeah, she got to the point about late July where she could not uh, ingest any kind of food whatsoever. Mm. So they put her on liquid a liquid diet that you know they fed her through through her veins, and uh, that's the way she was kept alive from late July till um, late March mm. of the following year. Wow! And um, well, you know, you do Amen. what you what you've got to do, and God is amazing how He helps you do things that you never thought you'd ever be able to do. Yeah, yeah. But those, yeah, those were. Um, Tough times. You know, I remember I was, I don't remember how old I was when Grandma Della passed away. I don't remember a whole lot. What uh, year were you born? I was born in 85, so I guess I was four or five years old. It would have been been four years old. Yeah. Not quite five yet. And uh, yeah, I just remember it. You know, for the first time in my life, I have like those some memories of just like heaviness and sadness, and you know, I remember some memories of going to the funeral and not being able to understand what was going on truly, you know. But but that kind of being introduced to my world, you know, the idea of of death and well, sadness. I didn't understand it either. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I uh, I thought. Oh, we were we were together for life, and uh, yeah. 
Della was at a time when you know she had gotten her doctorate and was an excellent nurse and mm. great administrator, able to do a wonderful job of of advancing the nursing department there and mm. uh, at Azusa. In fact, she was right right at the point that fall she had been uh, she was president elect of the state nursing hmm. Christian nursing society. Wow. And that was one of the first things I had to do when she finally realized that she was not going to be able to continue working. I had to call the office and let them know that uh, I'm going to be able to fill her responsibilities. Hmm. It's you're tempted to ask God, why? Yeah. I mean, she was right at the peak of her professional career. Yeah. And um, God took her. But he had, a, he had a reason. And again, he had a plan. And I, I didn't know what it was all about. Yeah. But uh, I had to bring myself to a point where I was willing to accept it. Yeah. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, this is years and years and years later that you would probably still say you have no idea the reason why. And yet at the same time, your heart's at peace. Yes. And I think that's a very important distinction, you know, where we, we all have to come to the place where we go, I have no idea why. Yep. This doesn't make any sense to me. There's no explanation for this. And yet at the same time, I accept it. I'm at peace with it. And I think that's a conflict of choosing, are you going to park there? Mm. Or are you going to? I distinctly remember the day where I said, Lord, regardless of what the past was, I will move to the future. Mm. And I didn't know what, I thought I knew what it looked like. I thought I knew what I would be doing. Yeah. but that isn't the way it worked out. But it was a, for me, it was a distinct afternoon. Right. Right. Of choosing. Then mm. about a week later, I called you, didn't I? Oh, yeah, <laughs> about that. Uh, okay, so how did that, how did that transpire then? <laughs> well, here's, here's an important, uh, well, let's talk about that. And then I've got a couple questions along those lines because it's the questions that we get all the time in terms of widowhood and remarriage and all that. And I'd love to hear your insight. But how did, how did that come about where you guys met? And I mean, you knew each other before. Yes. Right. I mean, the Wesleyan world is a small world, so. Well, and my husband was on the general board and on the college board where Jim and Della were, and we were good friends, and we even said, I remember one day Bob said, you know, if we lived closer to them, we'd be good friends. Wow. But we lived several hundred miles away. He pastored in Wisconsin and then Oklahoma. Mm. Yeah, those were, um, it was interesting. After Della passed away, I continued to work. Actually, I'd been working for a couple of years for the Crippled Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, doing fundraising for them. And uh, that that was the job that God finally opened up for me in in California. And um, after, after she passed away, I... I spent the next six months, you know, working by day and walking the streets by night, kind of thing, you know, until yep. 
no, God began to open open some doors. I became um, very um, I became lonely because family. I had no family now. Yeah. Darlin Darren were there, and they were very they were very close. But the rest of my family is back here in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and uh, I began to think about you know moving back to Indiana because I didn't feel like that was where God wanted me to be mm. in ministry at that point. So things um, did open up, and I, I got a job with a small um, school down in southern Indiana for about a year, year and a half. Mm. And um, during that time, Diane said to me one day as we were visiting, said, Dad, you know, Mom would not have wanted you to live the rest of your life alone. Mm. We as your family feel that it's time for you to begin to open yourself up wow. to whatever God has and whoever God has planned mm. for you for the rest of your life. Was that important for you, Grandpa, to hear th- them say that? Yeah, it was important. It yeah. was important because I, you know, three kids, you don't just, you don't make decisions like that without considering your family. Yeah. In fact, when I finally, well, Martha was still, her Bob had passed away, and she was still working at the uh, church there mm-hmm. in Bartlesville. And, um, and at the college. And at the college, I'm teaching at the college. And I, um, I realized that um, you know, I probably should be thinking about this. And mm-hmm. I was sitting at the table one morning before I went to work and a devotional time. And uh, you know, all of a sudden, why Martha Murphy's name came to me, <laughs> I don't know. But it did, and I thought about it for several days. And finally, I said, well, I know where she is, so let me call and find out what's going on. <laughs> so I got on the phone and called the church and... Uh, her secretary was someone, I, I knew her by name. She was a great friend of Martha's. And I, as I spoke with her, I said, do you, do you happen to know how I could get in touch with Martha? And she said, I sure do. And she <laughs> gave me the phone number and her address and everything. You know, I, I wrote it down on a small piece of paper and stuck it in my pocket and carried it around for about two weeks. I could not pick up enough courage hmm. Oh, dating at age 55 is different than <laughs> early in life. Yeah, this so, is before uh, they had all those apps, you know, yeah. the online dating services. That's right. <laughs> they didn't have that. So finally, one um, one Sunday night, I was sitting there and very lonely. I said, Jim, you're a big boy. Just call Martha and if nothing else, just to see how she's doing. Mm. So I did. I very courageously picked up the phone and gave her a call. And and honestly, it just seemed like we clicked. We probably talked for an hour, and mm-hmm. I don't know what even we all we talked about, except we you know we shared a little yeah. bit of common experiences, and um, that was the first of several phone calls mm-hmm. over the next month or so. Wow! Wow! What was your take on that, Grandma? I was totally shocked. 
<laughs> because I hadn't gotten that far in the process. Yeah. You know, I I should say that before Bob died, he said to me, Martha, it's not a matter of if I'm going to die, it's a matter of when. Mm. And I would like you to remarry mm. after I'm gone. And I said to him, I can't imagine it. Mm. I I can't comprehend what that would be. And I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. He said, we don't have to talk about it. Mm. I just want you to know how I feel about it. Mm. So when Jim called me out of the blue and we visited, he suggested that we get together. And I told him, I said, you cannot come here. (laughs) He said, it has to be some neutral place because I, I said to him, and I won't even meet you or talk with you mm. unless you talk to your children. Mm. And I talked to my son because I didn't want them to hear anything by the grapevine mm. that they didn't already know beforehand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we did that. <coughs> I... um. And we made the decision we had meet in St. Louis. Hmm. So I flew to St. Louis, and he drove, because I was in Bartersville and um, Oklahoma. And so we spent uh, a couple of days together. And we had a very nice time. He obviously is very sharp and mm-hmm. intelligent. And it wasn't, you know, it was a nice visit. But when uh, I left, I said to him, now, I have, I just really did not know what to expect from coming to meet somebody. Mm. I said, I didn't know if I'd feel like I was committing adultery, although my (laughs) husband had died, but I didn't, you know? And I said, I just, at this point, I don't know what I uh, am looking about the relationship Mm. or how it would be. And I just want you to know for the very first time that I've opened myself up to visit with somebody, I can't think of anybody that would be nicer Mm. or better. He said he thought that was the biggest brush off (laughs) (laughs) he had ever heard. He said, when I got to know you better, I realized you were not going to say anything (laughs) that you did not believe. And I should tell you, it was so scary for me because being a pastor's wife of a large church and a middle-sized church and a little church, I had... Um, I had experienced so many people that had second marriages that it was not a pretty picture, Mm. and it was not a good relationship. And I remember praying the night before I went to meet with Jim, and I pulled out a legal pad and said, Martha, what are the most important things to you if you were going to have a relationship with somebody else. And so I wrote a whole legal page Mm. and more questions that I felt like I would need to ask before I would even pursue a friendship or a relationship. Yeah. 
And wow. when I told my son about it, he said, good land, Mom. He must have felt like he was on a quiz program and really put through the third degree. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> well, one of the things that I've always admired about you, and it colored, obviously, the way that you know I approached and, and walked through losing Amanda and then my kind of healing journey and then meeting Christy and remarrying, um, I, I've always appreciated from my perspective with you guys that, you know, you guys have each talked about your late spouses with such honor and such, you know, upholding them and, and with such admiration and respect. And you've been able to do it in front of each other. Right. And at the same time, it doesn't, it doesn't detract from how much you love each other. Right. And there's so many people that they don't understand. It's hard for them to fathom that concept if they've not been there. And even some, we talked to so many widows and widowers that struggle with as they're getting remarried or as they're dating, like, how do I navigate that? How do I, you know, honor the past and honor the present and future? Um, Can I do all of that at the same time? You know, what would you say to that? Well, I would say that... uh, it's something you do have to deal with in your own mind, in your own spirit, and uh, and realize that if you're going to to develop a good relationship with your new wife, you have to accept her and her past and mm-hmm. realize what has happened in the past is what has made her who she is today. That's right, yeah. And uh, we just, you know... we work through that, and uh, the Lord has helped us to. She's the best thing that's happened to me Mm. in the last 40 years. (laughs) Actually, 29 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, isn't it amazing you can say, you know, Grandma Della was the best thing that happened to you then, right? and Grandma Martha is the best thing that's happened, right? And that's that's funny, because I say that's how we used to, we used to say Grandma Martha, Grandma Della, now we say Grandma, because you have been our grandma, you know, for at least Most all of, of us cousins, life. right? That's what we remember. Yeah. And so it, it's, it, I almost see it as a very providential thing in my own life that I got to witness from afar, observe you guys walking and all of that, even at a young age when I didn't have any construct for it. You know, being able to go back and draw from that and say, what did grandma and grandpa do? You know, how, did, how have they walked through this? Um, so. I also think that um, at first, when we were first married, I would start to tell Jim something that I think, good land, no sense telling him that. He wasn't even there. <laughs> but as we were married and we've gone through the years, we've built our own history. Mm-hmm. And we're able to talk about the experiences that we have had together yeah. and what has happened. But I was particularly conscious of, I remember telling your mom, Mom and Dad and the others, Darlin, Darren, and Steve and Diane, I think it's important for you to tell your children about Della. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I said, I'm the only grandmother they will really actually know, mm-hmm. but I didn't want them to feel like they couldn't share the stories of right. growing up about her because it didn't take anything away from me. Yeah. But it was also a part of their heritage. And I think understanding that helps you when you are knitting a blended family and you're going forward. Right, right. That's so good. 
The last question I think I would ask you guys, and I would be remiss not to ask this question because um, we have so many people that are, they've found themselves in the middle of that valley. They're like, they've just experienced that loss or they're in the depths of it. You know, they're, they feel like the water is rising up above their head. They're drowning in this sorrow. And, and, and they're, they're beginning to believe that they're never going to be happy again, that they'll never find joy again. What would you say to that? I think that in the midst, I remember being invited to speak a lot of places when I was first a widow. And I thought, dear Lord, I am such a mess. Hmm. What do I have to share with anybody else? And I went to the interim pastor after my husband had passed away, and I said to him, Larry, I have all these places I've been invited to come and speak, but I am such a mess. What should (laughs) I do about it? Should I cancel? And he looked at me and he said, Martha, you'll be healed in the going. Wow. And that was tremendous advice for me. Yep. And I also had a sister that said, when you're uh, widowed and you're invited to do something with others, you're not going to feel like it. But she said, go ahead and do it. Because by the time you're healed enough and you want to, (laughs) if you have turned down these invitations, they won't be there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I found that to be true also. It helped, although I can't say I was enthusiastic about a lot of those things at first. It was a path to healing. Wow. That is so true. And so, you know, I I hadn't thought about that. How many opportunities people invited me to go on right after Amanda passed away? Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, Man, if situation was different, I would be thrilled to be in this, uh, have this opportunity. But I'm frustrated with it right now, you know, because Amanda's gone and I want her to be with me in this. And I, you know, it, and, and yet it was in receiving those opportunities and going into those that I began to, just, the Lord showed up for me in those places. And you healed. And I, and I began to find healing. Yeah. He began to bring that healing to me. Um, that's very, yeah, I had not drawn that parallel at all, but I that's that was really good. That's really good. Huh. But you have to be open yeah to his healing. Yeah. And and I think you have to actively seek it. Yeah. After Della passed away, I mean it was a, a lonely time and it was very difficult to get out of bed in the morning and go work. Because <laughs> I just, you know, like you said, it's almost like uh I was just Undated with right. loneliness and grief, but I, in looking back, I think one of the important things is let yourself grieve. Mm. I mean, you and we all grieve in different ways, but but grief is 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 it's not a not a bad thing. Yeah, right. It helps you to heal. Right. It brings healing. Right. And uh, so after you know. Three or four months, I began to feel alive again and feeling yeah. like I wanted life to go on. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's so good. 
Yeah, grief is not a bad thing. And that's a it's it has a stigma. <laughs> people don't people don't because it's uncomfortable. It hurts. Yeah, it does it's hurt. a negative emotion that we don't like to yeah. experience. We don't like to feel. And yet it is the portal to our healing. It's the thing that God it's a gift to us. Yeah. You know? I also think it's important to have some good solid friendships. Yeah. Of people, I can remember when Jim started visiting with me. Uh, even I said I did not pray for somebody. I was not looking. I wasn't expecting. Mm. I might have been down the hill, mm. you know, down the road, but not at that point. And I remember a friend of mine saying, "God didn't send a Jim Blackburn for me, <laughs> but He did for you." Mm. And being open. Um, I think friendships and others that love you and walk with you are important input because sometimes you can't think very clearly yourself. Yeah, that is for sure. Wow. And I had a very strong church uh, that supported me at Mm. that time. I was attending Arrow Highway Wesleyan Church in Tennessee. And uh, the pastor was a great friend and I had so many friends in the church, and they were so supportive. And it was just, uh, it was the best kind of situation. Yeah. And God had had prepared again, had yeah. prepared the way. You know? Right, right. Well, we see throughout the threads of your stories and my story and so many people that we have conversations with on this podcast that God is carrying us through all of these things. Yes. There's a hammock underneath us. There's an umbrella over top of us. He's walking with us. He's walking beside us. He's carrying us. And that seems to be the, the story over and over and Absolutely. over and over. And um, that's, that's, what I, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you guys, because I knew that you're going to be able to, you, you reach back for years and say, yes, this is true. God is faithful. You may not feel it in the moment, but when you look back, you can see his faithfulness, and it gives you the assurance that he's going to continue to be faithful no matter what you face. That's right. right. So, guys, thank you so, so much for spending time with me and having this conversation. It's, it's been, our uh, privilege. It's been a pleasure. We love you. <laughs> I love you, too. Love you much. Absolutely. Um, Friends, Aubrey, I'm so glad that you guys got to have an ear into that conversation. Me too. I feel like I want them to be my grandparents. I mean, I love my grandparents, (laughs) but I love your grandparents quite a bit. Quite a bit. It was so special. We like took all the equipment and just put it out in the living room and just let's have a conversation over coffee, of course. And that's one of my earliest memories of my grandfather is the smell of black coffee. I mean, really? Oh yeah. Even before I liked coffee. So I I would attribute my addiction to coffee now to my grandfather. (laughs) But it was just a generational addiction. It is, yeah, yeah. The things God works in generations, doesn't he? Right. That's right. That's right. No, um, I mean they, they. It, you know, it was obviously there was some like preciousness to it because yeah. they're your grandparents. But the man, the wisdom, yeah. the faithfulness, the leadership, the yeah. the clinging to God in their grief, the trusting God, orchestrating plans that we can't orchestrate ourselves, right. like. They are powerhouses of faith, Davey. I can see why you wanted to have them yeah. on the show, and I'm so glad that well, you did. Well, you know, one of the things we don't mention in the conversation is last year for Christmas, I think it was last year for Christmas, uh, my grandfather gave all of us a self-published book that he wrote of essentially his 
life story. And he didn't, no he didn't like publish it and put it out there or anything like that. He just did it as a gift for all of us, uh, you know, grandkids, great grandkids. And Weston mm. for several weeks in, I mean, just set up in, a, in his room before going to bed and he read Grandpa's story. Come on. Yeah. That Isn't that the sweetest cry. thing? So you're talking about yes. great grandson reading this story of the faithfulness no. of God in my grandfather's mm. life. And I mean, just what a great, that, that I think, summarizes mm. my grandfather's heart, right? Like wow. he's not concerned about notoriety or trying to do some kind of, I mean, he's got an, a very interesting life, right? All the stories, even just yeah. from Haiti. I mean, he could put a book together and have a publisher right. and do all this stuff, right? right? That, that would be right. just fine. And that would be, he just wanted to do it for us to continue mm. to pass down the legacy of like, hey, this is who we are as a family. We follow Absolutely the Lord. Amazing. We're faithful to him because he's faithful to us. And uh, man, I just, yeah, absolutely, absolutely powerful. I loved, I just loved hearing, hearing from them. One of the things that I thought was interesting, Davey, and you can probably speak more into this is, you know, both um, your grandma, who I know is Grandma Martha, mm -hmm. and um, your grandpa, that, that while they were after their losses, that both of their families were really part of the decision for them to start even considering dating yeah. again. Wow, and um, that they—it seemed to me—and that they may have not even opened themselves up to that yeah. if it weren't for their families being like both encouraging them to and like approving yeah. of the person that they were, you know, considering right. being with. Right. And I, I, you know, Davey, from your experience, did you feel like your family and even Amanda's family was a big part in some of your decisions as a widower? Yeah. Well, I'm. I'm grateful. For Amanda's family, because I mean, I'm weeks after Amanda was killed. So, I mean, we hadn't even hardly processed any of this stuff, right? We're still in this shock. Mm. Um, yeah. I write about this in, in Nothing is Wasted, and it was a very pivotal conversation um, that I had with her dad. We sat down to breakfast, the breakfast place that we always go to. Um, and he literally said the words, when you get remarried, not if, but when you do. Wow. Now, I was not ready. I was not ready to hear that, right? Yeah. But there right. that was an important conversation because he opened it up. Like he he like mm. kind of ripped the band-aid off and and almost gave permission right away. Like, hey, you do you need to and I don't know if he knew intuitively that I needed that or I don't, I don't know what happened there, right? But Yeah. But he said that and and what he said was is I don't consider you a son-in-law. I consider you now a son. Who's, who's mm. going, God's going to bring a wife into his life and we're going to be excited for whoever that is. And Goodness I mean, gracious. that was, that's huge. Wow. Now here's the thing. And that's, I say that to say this in grief, it can expose a whole lot of selfishness, self-centeredness. I mean, you can go inward yeah. really quickly and, yeah. um, but I think it also can magnify and expose a whole lot of just godly character as hmm. well, um, depending on how your heart is already. And, yeah. and so I think it's wonderful. I mean, I just like am amazed and I marvel at Phil Byers for saying that in weeks afterwards, right? Saying that to me. I also marvel yeah. at my Aunt Diane and my Aunt Darla and my dad having that same conversation essentially with right. my grandfather and saying, right. hey, listen, we want you to be happy. And so I would just say this as an, like, to admonish the folks who are listening to this, and maybe you have someone in your life who has lost that's close. 
Um, I want you to encourage them in that, like give them permission, set them free. Like no matter how you're mm. feeling on the inside, no matter how di- it's going to be difficult, no matter what, it's going to be difficult to wrestle with that. But yeah. you have yeah. the opportunity to walk open handedly in this and to mm. really set someone free so that they're not feeling this tug and pull of this guilt and this, you know, being like restrained by, you know, yeah. by this, if God wants to open up something new in their life. Yeah, that's that's a really good word for our really good word for our listeners, Davy. Thank you for that, and thanks to your grandparents for that. I I think, you know, the last thing that really stood out to me was, and I said this before, but just they're so able to see God's hand in their oh, lives, man. and just willing to be like, yeah, God did this. Yeah. God did this. God orchestrated things that we could never yeah. have planned for. And and what I also appreciated was this honoring of the past. Mm. Like they both honored their former spouses so or their late yeah. spouses yeah. so beautifully while also seeing the gift of each other yeah. and that God had done all of that. Yeah. And I there there is, I think, a lesson for all of our right. listeners in that. That you can honor what God has brought you through and honor the past and somehow still be willing to say, but God is not Absolutely. done orchestrating my story. Yeah. 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 It, that doesn't make sense to the world. We, we live in, like the world, people who are not operating in the kingdom, they, they live in the either or so many times. Mm. And, right. and we live in the both and. And the more that we walk, I mean, okay, we're, we're still young, right? And that's why we love listening yeah. to people like my grandparents or other people who have these right. like legacies, right. these long standing journeys of walking with the Lord. But the the longer that I live, the more I see how much God works in uh, years and decades yes. and lifetimes and generations yes. and just how yes. exponential his work is in that. And I think so often we get caught up in the moment, right? We get so overwhelmed by the now or the here or the mm-hmm. like immediate, like what's going on right now mm-hmm. that we forget and we fail to recognize what God wants to do in, in a decade or in a lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. so the, the more I talk to older people, the more they go, yeah, I see my life now in seasons, right. not in like moments, you know? Yeah. 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 Very, very, very cool to learn from them. Well, I know one thing that your grandparents are excited about and passionate about that is partnering with God. Mm-hmm. Obviously one of the things that we're doing here at nothing is wasted is really um, beefing up, relaunching our community yeah. and membership platform. Yeah. Davey, why don't you talk about the open enrollment that's happening right now? Absolutely. We want you to know that you don't have to walk through this alone. And so right now, currently, we are in an open enrollment to jump into this new relaunch of our community platform. Of the There's three tiers to this, okay? So there's the first tier that's just called community, and it's free. It's, it's basically like a massive forum where you're grouped together with other people who are walking through the same thing that you're walking through. You can derive encouragement and hope and inspiration from those people. Our certified coaches are jumping in and they're interacting as well. They're putting on different events and webinars and we're putting all of our content up there as well so you can consume that. And then we have a second tier that we're releasing. Our third tier, we're not releasing till later this year, but our second tier is $20 a month and there's all kinds of bonus content, bonus episodes. We're really beefing that up this year as well. And that way we can provide you with as much content as we possibly can to help you and inspire you as you're moving through your journey. Look for the third tier later this year. It's going to be awesome. That's going to be called Community Collective. I can't wait for that one to launch. But right now, go ahead and jump in on this community platform. February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, we have a live virtual summit with three very special guests. You can only attend that summit if you are part of the community platform. So make sure you jump in on that. 
And um, and and can't wait to see you February first, second, and third with that. Nothingiswasted.com slash community. Yep. Sorry, Harvey. There, there it was. Nothingiswasted.com. Yeah, that's okay. You slash got it. Community. I get so excited talking about it. I forget to tell people how to do it. <laughs> how to go there. Oh. That's right. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash community. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We also want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries at Davy Blackburn and at Obsamp. Next week, it's the last episode in our incredible Widowhood series. We're joined by John Hagedorn. So let's go ahead and take a listen to part of Davy's conversation with John. It was the morning of July 7th. This was a nice, beautiful blue sky morning. We're sitting out on the porch with the boys uh, looking out, and we decided as a family to come back on that story of the Ebenezer, because Paul had shared that with our boys uh, the night before. And um, and so we opened up the Bible to Joshua 4, and that was one of our uh, favorite stories of when the Israelites crossed the Jordan, and, and the Lord asks the, the uh, leaders of the tribes of Israel to grab a stone on the other side and build us uh, an altar of remembrance so that when the next generation asks, what are these rocks about? It tells a story of God's yeah. faithfulness and his provision. And we had done this, uh, Aaron and I had done this a couple times in our, in our marriage prior to this day. We thought with the boys, this would be great to do uh, this morning before we headed out for the day. And so we, we drew an altar, uh, 12 things. The boys had input on what they wanted their stones to be and Aaron and I talked about what our stones were, and uh, there were there were things on there like miracles. We were thanking God for the the miraculous way He brought the boys into our world for uh, His uh, provision for our family. Aaron had just finished her master's degree a month prior in special education, and we were really excited about uh, what He had for us in the future. We were thankful for uh, the legacy of of love and salvation in our family because how He had saved my grandfather, and on and on we did this altar, um, had a time of, of thanking him for his goodness and praising him. And then we headed out for the day and, and less than than 12 hours later, uh, we lost Aaron. 